Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hat. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Adventureland. Adventureland was a game suggestion from listener Will Howard. What Scott Adams' text adventure based on a Marvel comic failed to see the light of day back in 1985? You'll find the answer to this question later on in the episode. But before we get started with this episode, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. I've been busy the last few weeks. Uh, One of the things I have been busy on is starting a new podcast, which is called Cactus Flax. Now, Cactus Jacks is actually a local arcade. It's the arcade I grew up hanging out in here in Oklahoma. And Cactus Flax has kind of been my tribute uh, name to that arcade. Uh, If you have listened to You Don't Know Flack or some of my other podcasts, you may know that during the 90s and the 2000s, I was a pretty big arcade collector, a collector of arcade machines. And so on my new podcast, Cactus Flax, I have made a list of every machine that I've owned and I've divided them up into 50 episodes worth of material. So if you like arcade games and you want to listen to me talk about not only the games, but also the actual cabinets that I owned, where I bought them, uh, repairs I had to do and things like that, uh, you might want to check out my new show. It's called Cactus Flax, and you can find it at the same website that You Don't Know Flack is hosted at, and that is at podcast.robohara.com. There are two different feeds, so you can subscribe to one or the other. Uh, I am in the process of getting that show added to iTunes as well. So uh, after today, I should have enough shows where I can get it added to iTunes uh, and get that done pretty quickly. So uh, again, if you're into arcade stuff, go check out my new show, Cactus Flax. I also finished the first half of my novel. I've been working on a novel for uh, my graduate program, and I had to get that finished. So uh, it's a, I would guess that you'd say it's a novelette. It's only 25,000 words for the first half, uh, but I got that uh, finished and turned in. So that took a little bit of my time. Uh, and the kids were on spring break last week, and so I was off work. We took a little vacation, had some good time off, but now we are back uh, in the world of Commodore 64 games. And if you remember on the last episode, I said I was launching a new feature on the website for Commodore 64 ringtones that I will take from the games. Uh, And so for this week's game, I picked a game that has absolutely no sound at all. (laughs) So uh, instead, uh, you won't find any ringtones for Adventureland, but I will work on getting some other sounds uh, added to the website. And I'd love some feedback about that. If anybody plans on using those ringtones, or if you have any that you'd like to make, either ringtones or alert sounds for phones, just email them to me uh, at robohara at robohara.com, and I will get those added to the website. Also, that somewhat strange introduction to the podcast you heard today uh, came from Nicholas Mayu, who has been transferring my podcasts over to some pretty old hardware, including a reel-to-reel recorder. And so he sent me a video of his reel-to-reel tape recorder playing uh, some segments of my podcasts, and he uh, sent me some audio samples or, of uh, recordings where he was messing with the reels a little bit as they played back. I really thought that was really neat. So thank you again, uh, Nicholas, for sharing that. But that's where that introduction came from. In the world of Commodore 64 news, well, in the last episode, I mentioned that the last Ninja Musicology was doing a Kickstarter, that they were going to be recording all the uh, rock versions of songs from the last Ninja trilogy, which is a very classic trilogy of games for uh, Commodore computers. And unfortunately, as far as I could tell at this point, it has all been canceled. The Kickstarter has been removed and the Facebook page for the last Ninja Musicology has also been removed. Uh, Apparently there were some legal issues between them and System 3, uh, claiming that they own 
the music from The Last Ninja. I don't know all the legal details between the two, but, uh, you know, there, there's been this uh, gray line for a long time between uh, the old owners uh, of copyright and people that have purchased those rights. Um, you know, there was a, a company for a while that had purchased the rights to Epic's games, and Atari does this occasionally, where they will go after people who have hosted uh, ROMs of their old games. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I understand the legal side of things, of companies wanting to protect their copyright, but um, I don't know. I, I really feel it's a shame because I don't. they weren't re-releasing anything that was already released. They were, you know, releasing new, basically cover tunes, I guess you would say, of, um, you know, Last Ninja Music. So it's a shame that that got shut down because that looked like a really neat project. And hopefully uh, both sides could come to an agreement and work something out so that we can hear uh, the, that great music that those guys were planning. I just finished reading the new version of Commodore Free Magazine. Commodore Free Magazine is, as the name implies, news about Commodore, and it is free. Uh, episode 90, or uh, issue 91, I should say, was just released. I just finished reading. There's a review of the book 10 Print. Uh, you may be familiar with that uh, infamous one-line program that generates uh, a very interesting pattern on the Commodore 64. Uh, but Commodore Free, you can find them at CommodoreFree.com. And the versions, uh, I think there's PDF, there's HTML, there's text, any way you want to read it. Uh, but no matter how you want to read it, you should go check it out and read it. Uh, there's a new uh, version of CBM Expert. This is a old program that I used to use uh, to transfer disks back and forth uh, before I started using uh, the, well, mostly now I think I use the, uh, the uh, Ultimate 1541 if I need to transfer a disk over, or I use uh, uh, Zoom Floppy is what I was trying to think of. But uh, this, this uh, I think I used to use this back in the Star Commander days, but you can still use it. Anyway, uh, I'm rambling. Version uh, 0 0.41 has been released, and there's some new uh, features on that. So if you uh, like the CBM Exfer system of tools, you might want to go check that out. A new device called LumaFix 64 was released, and what LumaFix 64 is is, is a, uh, a small board that you can solder into your Commodore 64 that will help clear up some of the wavy lines that we've all become accustomed to seeing in the years uh, of using a real Commodore 64 on TVs and monitors. Uh, the, the difference is really amazing. There's some comparison side-by-side -side photos on the project's website. And, uh, you know, if, um, if you're really into wanting to get a crystal clear video output from an old Commodore 64, then this definitely looks like something interesting. The, the website is uh, biosrhythm.com. And as always, I will have links to all of these things in the show notes. Um, I just saw that Castles of Dr. Creep, the actual Commodore 64 version, has made its way to Steam Greenlight. So this is something that people are trying to get on uh, Steam. It's, it is the Commodore 64 version, so I suppose this would be for people that don't want to bother getting emulators up and running or people that don't have uh, real Commodore 64 hardware that they are using. Um, I don't, you know... I understand there there are certain things, you know, playing certain DOS games is really a pain in the derriere. Sometimes they don't even work right with uh, DOS box. And I even have that DOS machine that I've set up, but it sometimes it is a hassle to get these old games to work. So I understand uh, wanting to get even games that you may still own the original for. Sometimes it's just easier to get them up and running on Steam. I don't know that I would purchase Commodore 64 games on Steam, just because there's so many other ways to play them uh, these days. But uh, Castles of Dr. Creep is on the Steam Greenlight. People are voting on that right now. There was a new update released in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, this is uh, a point-and-click adventure that never originally made it to the Commodore 64. It was released on the Amiga, the Atari ST, the Macintosh, and the PC um, but it never made it to the C64, but there is a homebrew uh, attempt at getting this ported over. And I've seen the graphics and it looks really good. It's really impressive uh, what this guy is doing right now. So um, that there's been another update on that. And hopefully 
Uh, before too long, we will get to see the final version. Uh, there's another, uh, our friends over at Hok- uh, Hokuto, oh, gosh, I hope uh, I said that right, Hokuto Force, uh, released a new version of Frogger 3, or Frogger 2, 3 Deep. I always thought that should be Frogger 3, because Frogger 3, 3 Deep. Um, but there are some uh, additional cheats and stuff. I was never as big of a fan as Frogger 2 um, as compared to Frogger 1. Frogger 1 visually just uh, is much cleaner of a game and looks much better. But if you're a fan of Frogger 2, you might go track down this new release of uh, Frogger 2 3 Deep, which has some new trainers and cheats built in. There's a brand new release of pinball games, pinball tables for the Commodore 64, and I believe this is called, uh, it's either Pedico 5 or Pedicos. It has a Pedico apostrophe 5, but I don't know if that's elite speak uh, for an S or if that's really supposed to be a 5. And I thought it was a 5 because there were 5 pinball tables, but actually there's 6 pinball tables, so I don't know what in the world's going on. Uh, But um, uh, I did check this out and the... Some of the, what would you say, like the gravity or the physics in the table seem a little bit off, like the ball kind of floats around and at times it speeds up and slows down. But I I think it's maybe an unfair comparison because my favorite pinball games were Pinball Illusions, Pinball Fantasies, that series of games uh, for, you know, the Amiga and the, the DOS machines. I thought those were so good and really that's, in my my head, that's kind of the bar that was set for pinball games. So, uh, and obviously, I know that eight bit computer, uh, you know, like uh, the Commodore sixty four and, and other machines like that would not be able to to do those level of graphics and sound. Um, so it's not really a fair comparison. Uh, but if you are a pinball gamer, then you might want to go check this out. Uh, also, uh, the nineteen eighty seven game Avenger got a re-release. Now this is a, uh, I believe it's referred to as a gauntlet clone. Um, but the, the graphics on this are really good. Uh, and, uh, this is another game that got some, uh, cheats and trainers added and re-released. So if you like those gauntlet style games, uh, then go check out Avenger, uh, for the Commodore 64. And now let's get to this episode's King of the Castle. This episode's King of the Castle is once again Michael D'Angelo. Michael correctly guessed the King of the Castle song. The song from last episode was Free Falling from Tom Petty. Uh, and obviously the reference here is that uh, the game Archon was released from Free Fall Associate. So that was the, the song. That was the connection. Congratulations again to Michael D'Angelo for retaining, I should say, his spot on the throne yet again as the king of the castle. If you would like to be the next episode's king of the castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, obviously, because we're doing a text adventure this week, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. Once you have identified the secret song, the first person to send the song title to me, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, along with its relationship to the episode, will be named the King of the Castle. All of those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just broke up a robbery. There I go again. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. I had a hard time coming up with a snack for this episode originally. There's not a lot of food mentioned in the game Adventureland. Um, and, uh, there's not any food, you know, that I really associate with text adventures, but I, I went back, you know, and the very first text adventure I played was this game. This is conceivably the first computer game other than, you know, little, maybe things that were typed in and basic things like that. But this may be the first commercial computer game I ever played. And I got hooked on these through my dad. 
who had purchased our first computer and had purchased these text adventures to play on it. And my dad, he worked the late shift. He went to work at 3 p.m. and he came home at 11.30 p.m. And he would fire up the computer when he got home. And he would always have these big blocks of cheese. And he would go to the refrigerator and take a knife and cut off a block of cheese and go sit in front of the computer uh, and nibble on this big block of cheese. And I remember I wanted to do the same thing. Like when I would play these games, I would go to the refrigerator and cut off this cheese. And my dad, you know, sometimes he would say, hey, who's eating all my cheese? (laughs) Which is funny. Um, And I didn't. Like, I never knew why he was upset that we would eat his cheese until now that I'm a father and a parent. And I will fix myself a bowl of cereal in the morning and open up the fridge and all the milk is gone. Or a couple of months ago, I went to pour myself a bowl of Lucky Charms and noticed that someone had dug through the entire box and eaten all the marshmallows. Um, And then I yelled, who ate all the marshmallows? (laughs) So now... Uh, 30 years later, I understand his frustration. So I am sorry to my dad for, um, going into the fridge and eating his cheese. So, uh, but while we wrote the story last week and I knew that, that, uh, this was the game I was going to do, I stopped and I picked up a big half moon shaped chunk of craft cheese. And so as I sat here playing this game over the weekend and, and working on my notes for this, I sat up here and I, and I nibbled, uh, on a big piece of cheese and it did, kind of take me back to those days. So uh, I I definitely enjoyed that. So, But this game is not cheesy at all. This game, Adventureland, was published for the Commodore 64 in 1982 and again in 1985 by Scott Adams and Adventure International. It is a game for one player that uses keyboard controls. Again, this game was originally written by Scott Adams. Uh, When it began to sell well, he formed the company Adventure International because of this game. Uh, It was originally written in 1978 and released in 1979 for the TRS-80 Model 1 computer. Uh, And then based on its success, it began being ported over to other machines. So it arrived uh, on the Commodore 64 in 1982. Now, a few years later, Scott Adams released his series of Scott Adams graphic adventures or saga. uh, And this was saga released number one, Adventureland. Uh, And in the saga versions, the games were the same. But they had added graphics, and so uh, not only was it a text adventure, but it would also draw a picture of what you were supposedly looking at that would take up half the screen. Uh, And you could turn that feature on and off, but that's why I listed that this game was released uh, twice for the Commodore 64. This game is part of what is known as uh, the original 12 Scott Adams adventures, and those from 1 to 12 are Adventureland. Pirate Adventure, Mission Impossible, uh, Voodoo Castle, The Count, Strange Odyssey, Mystery Funhouse, Pyramid of Doom, Ghost Town, Savage Island Part 1, Savage Island Part 2, and Golden Voyage. Now, some of those were renamed uh, over time. For example, Mission Impossible was renamed to Impossible Mission, and then it was eventually renamed to Secret Mission. So some of those games have changed names slightly over time. Pirate Adventure was also renamed to Pirate's Cove, I think, by the time I saw it. In 1985, Scott Adams released a text adventure based on Buckaroo Bonsai, and then he released the Quest Probe series of games, which we will be talking about later. There were three Quest Probe games. Uh, But then after that, uh, shortly, well, while he was releasing the Quest Probe games, Adventure International filed for bankruptcy, and he didn't release another text adventure until the year 2000, which was Return to Pirate's Island 2. And Scott Adams has said, has gone on the record and said that he doesn't mind people uh, downloading and playing for free his earlier text adventures, but I think out of uh, respect, people... If they want to play Pirates Island 2, they should definitely purchase it uh, and support Scott Adams. If you want to know more about the development of Adventureland and the early text adventures, uh, YouTube blogger Matt Chat did a three-part interview with Scott Adams. Those are Matt Chat episodes 79, 80, and 81. Those are all on YouTube that you can watch, and uh, number 80 is specifically about this game, Adventureland. Um, Jason Scott, who did the uh, uh, Get Lamp, the 
documentary about text files or uh, about um, text adventures also interviewed Scott Adams. And that clip is also available on YouTube. So all of those links to those YouTube interviews uh, will be in the show notes. I have a note here in my notes that says play sound clip, but obviously there is no sound clip uh, for this game. So we will jump right into the pop culture context of this game. Uh, And everything starts with Colossal Cave Adventure, which was the very, very first text adventure. Uh, It is often referred to as simply adventure, uh, but you may hear it referred to as Colossal Cave. It was written by William Crowther. And uh, it was written in 1977 and ran on a PDP-10 mainframe. And the goal of the game was to explore a cave, which was based on a real-life cave. And the cave in the game was filled with treasure. So you uh, maneuvered around this cave and you collected treasure. So Scott Adams had played this game at a university and he had the idea of recreating a similar type game that would run on home computers. And most people thought that this was impossible at that time. So that's what he set out to do. This was on a a TRS-80 Model 1 computer that had 16K of RAM. And so Scott Adams has said that everybody stands on uh, the shoulders of the people before them. I believe that's true. So William Crowther created the original text adventure, but it ran on a mainframe. But what Scott Adams did, he had two very large contributions uh, to the world of text adventures. Number one, he's the guy that brought the idea of text adventures to home computers. Now, if it hadn't been for Mr. Adams, somebody else I'm sure would have done that, but he's the guy that did it. The other thing that he did, which was uh, very significant, was he came up with the idea of an interpreter. So uh, the earlier versions of Colossal Cave were written as one big program. But what Scott Adams did was his text adventure was written in two parts. There was the interpreter, which was the part that ran the program, and then the database, which was the actual game code, which was separate from the interpreter. And what this allowed him to do was make new adventures by just rewriting that second part, the game database, uh, without having to you know start from scratch every single time. And that is still the way that text adventures uh, and interactive fiction are written today. So that was uh, a major contribution to uh, the text adventure world. Uh, so we'll get to the box and manual. Of course, the early versions of Adventureland uh, didn't have a box at all. They were sold in baggies. Uh, they literally were put in um, the baggies that you would put inside a bottle, like a baby's bottle for formula. They would put the cassettes. Uh, Scott Adams would duplicate the cassettes at his house, put them in these baggies and send them off to stores where people would purchase them. Uh, but once Adventure International was formed and they knew that they needed a more professional looking product, they came up with a box. And this is the box that we get for the Commodore 64 version. It says Adventureland. It's all hand drawn. Uh, there's a picture of a dragon. There's a volcano in the background. You can see uh, some treasure drawn on there and they're all things that come from the actual game itself. So if you go through the artwork and uh, you're familiar with the game, you will see everything portrayed there on the cover. There's a small blurb on the back that says Adventureland. You wander through an enchanted world trying to recover the 13 lost treasures. You'll encounter wild animals, magical beings, and many other perils and puzzles. Can you rescue the blue ox from the quicksand or find your way out of the maze of pits? Happy adventuring. So this sets the stage a little bit of what the game is and what you're going to be doing. It doesn't really tell you that you're going to be typing things into a command line, that there won't be any graphics. But I suppose uh, after you purchased it and and loaded up, you would find this out. Uh, The manual inside is not very big. Uh, It's really just one sheet of paper folded over. So you could say that there are four pages, but, uh, you know, it's really just one sheet of paper. Uh, There are some hints included inside, and these are things that everybody who's ever played a text adventure now knows. But, you know, when you're inventing a new genre, you have to explain things to people. So the hints listed uh, include draw a map, 
look at the top of the screen, and that's where the um, descriptions of the area you were in were shown. Examine things. Type help, which uh, did not help you too much, but uh, there was a help system. Type inventory to see what you're holding. Uh, and then it included a list of helpful verbs. Um, there's also uh, something interesting in here. It has loading instructions for different computers, but the instructions under the Atari cassette part actually have instructions that explain how to make a copy of the cassette. So uh, I guess cassettes were considered so unreliable at the time that uh, they actually told you how to make a backup copy. There's also a list of statistics on the back of the instruction manual, which are kind of interesting. It says language, machine, number of players, one, average completion time, one month, suggested age group, 12 to adult, recommended for novice, yes, classification, compu novel. So this is before uh, the term, obviously, text adventure had, had come uh, uh, to be added to, the, to our vernacular. Sound? No. Save game feature? Yes. Multiple skill levels? No. Graphics-oriented? No. Real-time? No. Special equipment? None. So there you go. So when we load the game, we get started. There is no menu screen. It comes right into the game. And it says, welcome to adventure. Uh, and it explains, it says, the object of your adventure is to find treasures and return them to the proper place for you to accumulate points. I'm your clone. Give me commands that consist of a verb and noun. For example, go east, take key, climb tree, save game, take inventory, find axe, etc. You'll need some special items to do some things, but I'm sure that you'll be a good adventurer and figure these things out, which is most of the fun of this game. Note that going in the opposite direction won't always get you back to where you were. Happy adventuring! Then the game starts and you get a quick message that says a voice booms out. Welcome to adventure number one, Adventureland. In this adventure, you're to find treasures and store them away. To see how well you're doing, say score. Remember, you can always say help. What shall I do now? I'm in a forest. You see trees. Obvious exits, north, south, east, west. What shall I do now? And this is how Adventureland begins. You're in a forest. You can see trees. You can go north, south, east, or west. And that's pretty much it. You move around in the game by typing two-word commands. As the instructions said there, they are a verb noun. So you type a verb followed by a noun, like get this, go here, do those sorts of things. Um, due to the limited amount of the original computer, the only the first three letters of each word are recognized, so you can abbreviate words if you really want to. If if um, if time is of the essence, I suppose uh, you could just type the first three letters. Uh, and the game has approximately 120 word vocabulary, so there are only 120 different words that the game will recognize, and that includes uh, both the verbs and the nouns uh, in the game. Now. One of the things that has evolved over time is in the olden days, we called these text adventures. Um, at some point over time, that term evolved to interactive fiction. So most modern, uh, what I used to refer, what we all used to refer to as text adventures are now written as interactive fiction. And the difference is, obviously, interactive fiction is designed to tell a story. Now, you as the player control the story, and you move through the story, and you affect things in the story, but it is a story. Adventureland is literally a text adventure. There is no story. There's no um, uh, narrative that ties all of this together. Literally, you are thrown into this game. The object is to collect all the treasures, and once you have them all, the game is over. Uh, if you want to see modern examples of interactive fiction, you can go over to ifiction.org, uh, and there are lots of them. 
My buddy Rob Sherwin writes interactive fiction games, and you can check out his games at joltcountry.com forward slash games. Again, of course, all those links will always be included in the show notes, um, but uh, that will give you an idea of what the difference is like now today of interactive fiction versus the old way of uh, text adventures. Now, this game on the Commodore 64 was released in 1982. Uh, Originally, for earlier computers, uh, most earlier computers were not color. So uh, when you see screenshots of these, like on the TRS-80, it's white text on a black background. Uh, On the Commodore PET, I believe it's green text uh, on a black background. There are other computers, uh, you know, that... um, did the same thing, but I guess they wanted to show off the color capabilities of the Commodore 64. So on the 1982 release of Adventureland, the background is white. The descriptions of each area are shown in green. The responses to what you type are in blue and the command prompt and what you type are in red. This is terrible. (laughs) This really makes me not want to play it. I mean, when you view this, it is so gaudy looking. Uh, It's just just terrible. Now, the 1985 release changes this. Um, It is white text on a black background, which is what we're used to. uh, And it looks so much better. And uh, again, the top half of the screen on the 1985 release is a picture, but you can press enter and it turns that feature off. So you can play it with just the regular, um, you know, text version of the game. And it looks so much better. Now, the puzzles inside text adventures are really the heart of the game. It's how do I do this? How do I solve these different puzzles that have been presented to us? And the puzzles in Adventureland are simpler, I would say, than some modern interactive fiction, but you really have to think outside the box on some of them. And um, in the early text adventures, there was a lot of frustration where people call guess the verb. It's trying to figure out, you know what you want to do, but what is the exact term that the game is looking for? There weren't a lot of synonyms programmed in for these because there was such a limited amount of memory for these games to work with. Um, Some of the puzzles, like uh, when you go, like when you're around the dragon, uh, you can't be carrying certain objects. So you may have to drop something before. In fact, you will have to drop something before you approach the dragon. So that's kind of an example of something you have to do. Um, these early games would kill you instantly. They're not like modern games that would give you warnings. They're also not like modern games where you could just type restore and go back. Um, when you're dead, you're dead. So if you have saved your game previously, Uh, then, you know, you can load up that saved game. But if you hadn't saved your game, you're going to have to start all over. So that's definitely something to get used to when you're playing these old adventure games. Uh, Another example of a puzzle is doing things in the right order. And I don't think Adventureland, I'm thinking through the game here, I don't think it does this. Some of uh, the later Scott Adams games do this where you have a limited amount of moves to perform certain things. So I don't think Adventureland does that, but uh, in some of the games, I think the count maybe is one where you have only so many moves to complete a task. And if you take too many turns, then the game is unwinnable. So you would have to, once you figure out the right pattern, you would want to restore to an earlier saved game and then do it again in the least amount of moves. So a little bit different approach to text adventures, but again, being the first one, I think the uh, uh, things are still being ironed out in the genre. As I mentioned, there are 13 treasures In this game, they are the blue ox, the jeweled fruit, uh, pot of rubies, diamond ring, diamond bracelet, magic mirror, golden crown, thick Persian rug, firestone, golden net, golden fish, royal honey, and dragon eggs. Those are the 13 things you will have to find and collect and drop off 
uh, in this game. And each time that you collect one, your score goes up a little bit. Uh, and if you collect all 13 items, you will earn a perfect score of 100. So that is the uh, uh, ultimate solution to the game. There are walkthroughs available online for this game, and it is amazing that I played this game uh, not straight, but off and on for years, and I don't think I ever beat this game. And when you see the walkthrough, it's not that difficult. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's not that many commands. I think you could probably beat it in five minutes if you knew all the commands and and you just type them in one by one. Uh, It might take a little bit longer because, especially if you're playing on an older machine, uh, it, each command is not instant. Sometimes when you type it in, uh, you know, it has to search through the database, uh, for your commands. Uh, and, um, you know, if there's disc access or whatever, it's not again, like playing games, uh, you know, on an emulator or, or playing games uh, that we're used to today. They just don't run quite as fast. Uh, but the Commodore version's pretty good. I mean, it's not as slow as some of the older versions. Um, but there were a lot of people like me that needed help with these type of games. And what Scott Adams eventually put together was a hint sheet. Uh, he sold them for his first 12 games and they were $1 each, or you could buy a book that had, uh, all of them, all 12 for 10 bucks. So you could save a couple of bucks. And, uh, in one of the interviews I watched, Mr. Adams says that he made more money on the hint books uh, than he did on selling the games. And he attributes that to possibly the fact that the games were pirated. So people weren't necessarily paying for the games, but they would purchase a hint book so that they would be able to play it. So I guess, you know, however you have to, to make your money. Um, again, uh, the score goes from one to 100. So, uh, I, I really wish this is my, um, ADD. <laughs> I wish the score went to one to 130 so that each treasure was worth 10 points. So I'm not exactly sure how many points each treasure, uh, is worth. Um, so anyway, after, uh, the first 12 adventures, as I mentioned, uh, Scott Adams moved on to the quest probe series of games. And those were a game, uh, or a series of games where he teamed up with Marvel comics, Uh, The first one was Spider-Man, the second one was the Hulk, and the third one was the Human Torch and the Thing. And there was a fourth game that was planned, and I believe written but never sold, and that was the X-Men. But that game uh, did not come out, and Adventure International unfortunately filed for bankruptcy in 1985. So for Adventureland, uh, reviews were very high. Um, and Commodore user magazine gave it five out of five in December of 1983 and micro seven magazine also gave it 100% in April of 1984. Um, I don't love playing text adventures on the Commodore 64 solely for the fact that it's 40 columns. So uh, the text is so big that often, I mean, it will fill an entire screen and, um, you know, on, on more modern computers, it's easy to, to scroll up and down. So there's a lot of conveniences that come with more modern machines that we just didn't have, uh, back in the Commodore days. But like I said, this game was originally written on the TRS 80. Uh, it was ported to the Commodore 64. It was also ported to, um, I believe every eight bit machine known to man. <laughs> uh, it was on the Apple II the Atari 8-bit machines, the BBC Micro, uh, Commodore Pet, the Dragon 32 and 64, the Electron, the Exidy Sorcerer, FM7, PC-88, PC-98, the TI-99-4A, and the TRS-80 Coco, along with the VIC-20. I believe it's a cartridge on the VIC-20. Um, if you want to play Adventureland today and you don't Uh, mind that it's not the Commodore 64 release. I will add two links. Um, Obviously, uh, they have it on Virtual Apple, if you're familiar with virtualapple.org, which is a browser-based Apple II that you can play games on. Uh, So you can play Adventureland on that. Or uh, Interactive Fiction, -fiction ifiction.org, has it on their website where you can play it right through your browser. You don't have to install anything. So again, I will add those links. And if you want to go 
play around in the world of Adventureland and see if you can go find all 13 treasures. You might try it that way. If you would like to own a copy of Adventureland for the Commodore 64, good luck. Um, I found on eBay, I, well, there weren't any Commodore versions. Now, sometimes uh, when I collect software boxes, I don't always care what computer they're for um, if I'm not going to play the actual discs. Um, there is a complete uh, boxed version for the Atari, the cassette version, on eBay right now for $99. There is an Atari disc version also in the box for $199. So this is not a cheap game if you're wanting to purchase this and put it on the shelf for display. There is a TI-99 disc version, which comes with the disc and the manual, but no box for 50 cents. So <laughs> that's the difference right there. If you're looking for the box, you're going to pay money. Um, and also, I just happened to run across, while I was looking for Scott Adams things on uh, eBay, Marvel made three Quest Probe comic books, which were tied to those Quest Probe games that Scott Adams, and they actually say Scott Adams Comics on them and there's a auction right now with all three comics for 8.99 which is a pretty good deal I would think. Uh and finally there is the Scott Adams Adventure Series Limited Gold Edition. I owned this. Well, I, I say I. My father owned this when we had our TRS-80 computer. It was a large box that contained uh all 12 of Scott Adams adventures. There is one of those that's been on eBay for a while. I've seen this before. It's priced right around $500. I can't spend that on it, but I would love, I would love, love, love to own that. Um, but, uh, I would really like the TRS 80 cassette version because that's what we had. But, um, yeah, I just, I cannot, uh, I can't afford it and I, I can't justify it, but, uh, but that, that would be the ultimate Scott Adams collectible for me. Well, speaking of Scott Adams and memories of this box, let's get into my personal memories of Adventureland. All right, time So my memories of Adventureland really go back to the TRS-80. We had a TRS-80 Model 3. Uh, and at the time, when my dad first bought this computer, there were a maybe a few games on the shelves at uh, Radio Shack, which is where we bought our computer. But for the most part... Uh, I remember my dad typing in programs. He would get magazines or books and type in games, and that's what we played for you know the first few weeks. But then my dad brought home the Scott Adams Adventureland, and this was, I believe, the first commercial computer game that we ever owned and that I ever played. Um, so this was my introduction not just to interactive fiction, not just text adventures, but really to purchasing computer games uh, and playing them. So I played this game a lot as a kid. I never beat it. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, you know, one of those things where the enjoyment never came from beating it. It came from playing it. It came from moving around in the game and, and seeing what was there and finding stuff and trying to solve the puzzles. But, uh, but I never, I never did beat this game, which is again, why looking at the walkthrough that I found this week, it seems so silly. It seems like it's so easy, uh, to go through. So, um, my dad purchased several Scott Adams adventures and then eventually he purchased the Scott Adams adventure series, limited gold edition, which was this, uh, big book that came with 12 cassettes, uh, and it was all gold and black and there was a certificate of authenticity. And I believe the eBay auction says that there were only a thousand of these made. Um, it seems like there, there had to have been more of these, but if so, boy, I wish we'd have kept that thing. Um, and uh, it also came with a picture of Scott Adams with his arm around a giant airbrushed monster. And I believe I, st I have the picture. I definitely have it scanned in. And uh, um, I thought at one point that we got it from being in the Scott Adams fan club, but it came from, uh, you know, from actually 
uh, this this gold box set. So so that's where I first experienced this game. Uh, I was really too young, I think, to get hooked on the early text adventures. I mean, like I said, we played them because that's what we had. Um, but at that age, I was much more into Atari for action games. You know, it really wasn't until a couple of years later when we got our Apple II computer that we really started playing uh, action games. So on the TRS-80, you know, that was that was just kind of what we had. Um, I feel like Zork raised the bar very quickly. You know, when Zork came out, it was so much more advanced and took up so much more, uh, you know, disk space than the early text adventures that it really kind of blew uh, just in complexity terms uh, and also in prose, you know, the way they were written, they were so more advanced that they kind of left those original text adventures behind. Um, and the original Scott Adams games kind of looked old and maybe antiquated compared to the new Infocom games. But I will always, always have a place in my heart for them. Uh, they are what got me started in the world of computer games. I will never uh you know, look down on them and, and say that they were, uh, I mean, they are archaic. They are basic. They are, um, you know, not as advanced as things that have come, but they are wonderful in what they did. I mean, they got kids to read. They got people to read. They got people to interact with their computer in a way that they didn't know that they could do at that time. So, uh, you know, I'll never talk bad about them. I, I just think that they're, they're wonderful and, um, they may not be as polished or as smooth or as, as, as advanced as the inter- I, I definitely, they're not those things compared to interactive fiction today, or even the text adventures that came out a few years later, but the text adventures that came out a few years later would not have existed if it weren't for Scott Adams and adventure international and adventure land. So that's what, uh, this genre of games owes to, uh, uh, to Scott Adams. Uh, I think, you know, as far as computer games go, eventually they had to compete with RPGs and they had to compete with arcade games and other things. So eventually they fell out of vogue. Um, but, uh, again, like I said, if you go check out ifiction.org, you can see that there, it's a niche, but there are still people that are playing these types of games. So it's not completely dead. It did inspire people. And the people that are like me who played these as a kid are the people that are writing the games now that other people are playing. And in fact, um, when I, uh, met Rob Sherwin and found out he wrote these games, uh, I was exposed to this whole new world of interactive fiction, and I wrote my own text adventure. I just tweeted a, a link out to this, but I'll put it into the show notes. Um, but my game was called Hangar 22. Um, and, you know, in complexity and rooms and stuff, it's much larger than the Scott Adams adventures. It's bigger than Adventureland. But... Uh, is that to say it's better? No. <laughs> is it more innovative? No, it's silly. It's a goofy game where you um, go try to find a UFO and a hangar, you know, and find food and <laughs> things like that. So it's a very simple game, but uh, it's definitely, and, and in my game in the credits, uh, one of the people that I put that it's dedicated to is Scott Adams. Uh, so it, it was, um, you know, my way of, I guess, saying thanks to the people that, that created those text adventures, uh, before me. I also, a few years ago, I found this book, I believe it's called the big book of adventure games. Um, and I got it at a a garage sale for like a dollar. And what it was literally is a big book with all these printouts of walkthroughs for old text adventures. And it has the walkthrough in there, uh, you know, for these games and for Adventureland. And, uh, again, I think that was the first time when I, I saw that and I was like, wow, this game's not that hard to beat, <laughs> which makes it silly that I went 30 years without ever, uh, you know, going through the whole thing. But, uh, like many things, uh, the solution is uh, pretty easy when someone, uh, tells it to you.
Well, there are no graphics or music or sound effects to talk about in this episode. I suppose if you play the graphic version, uh, you can look at the pictures and on the scale of one to five, let's say they're maybe a two or, or a three. Um, they're, they're certainly not uh, advanced graphics and they almost take away from the game because the way that the original locations in Adventureland were described uh, and the way that you saw them in your mind was so much more detailed than the simple drawings that they were able to provide on the computer. For overall gameplay, I give Adventureland 3 out of 5 Sleeping Dragons. Um, I do recommend, if you're interested in text adventures at all, to go back and play Adventureland, just so you can say that you played the first text adventure that was released for home computers. Uh, you can see how far these games have come. And it is a fun game, although you may find some of the limited vocabulary uh, a little bit frustrating as you work your way through the game. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you want to play this week's game, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click the Downloads link at the top of the page, where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me a game request or feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle, or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Throwback Reviews, Multiple Sadness, and Cactus Flax. You can find links to all these shows at robohara.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now don't forget to say Bunyan, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle.